All right, before we get started, and you could turn right now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll be picking it up at verse 9. But before we get started, uh, the men's uh, midweek Bible study is going to be canceled this week because I'm going to be doing a speaking at a, they call it a men's eating party. That sounds really interesting to me and uh, being spiritually minded as I am. And But a men's eating party, I think it's at six. I never, I still can't figure out what time it is. If you know Pastor Gordy, Gordy Godfrey of uh, Polesville Community Church, he'll give you the details. But if you need to know if you were planning on coming Wednesday night to the Bible study, but you'd rather go out to, to Polesville, Polesville Community Church, and I don't know if they're going to have it outdoors or indoors. I don't. Uh, they usually have it uh, not in the church itself, but at the next street, they have a little place to get to. See me after the after the service if you want to go there. But I think it's going to be 6 p.m. and we'll try to get the word. Uh, Michael, could you get the word out to Josh, and uh, that way he doesn't end up uh, showing up and over here and stuff like that. But uh, but get the word out to the other guys. And, uh, and But if you want to go, it'll be a great time of fellowship. I figure if all of us go, it'll be like Jesus showing up with new disciples at the wedding feast of Canaan Galilee. So they run out of wine. These guys will run out of food. So so maybe the Lord will multiply something, but they're not expecting an extra 10 or 12 guys. So, But uh, but they would love it if it happens. But uh, but yeah, so just keep in mind, no Wednesday night study here, but you want to eat some good food. We'll be talking about mighty men of God. And um, so, uh, so make sure, and, and I think it's around 6. So I doubt it's 5.30, might be 6.30. If you got there early, they'll just probably make, you know, force you to help cook some of the food, which wouldn't be a bad thing. And um, uh, also I just wanted to mention that, uh, um, Gary and Becky were telling me that uh, I think AI preached its first sermon church in, in uh, uh, Germany. So there's, uh, I just want to give you a little message on um, job security for the pastoral staff here that remember AI doesn't love you, doesn't love the Lord, it's not capable of love. But, uh, but we're really going to be looking into that, try to find out what was the content of that message because we know who's running AI. And um, when they talk about the possibility of AI deciding what might be best for the world, might be uh, exterminating all human life, that's because they don't program into AI that human beings are the most valuable things in the entire physical universe. And uh, so this is all coming from the other side. AI could be a, a tremendous vehicle through which... Um, the doctrine of demons in the last days um, proclaim their message. So, uh, but we'll try to keep track of that. And uh, so, if you open up to First Thessalonians chapter five, we're going to start at verse nine, and we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And then after the message, we'll be receiving the Lord's Supper today. How do I know that? Because there's a note right here, and then I glance to the left and I see that. And um, it's amazing. I was supposed to be law enforcement ten years, trained observer. I've never saw this big note with size 72 font, and I would just miss it. So uh, thank you, Kai. And uh, okay, so let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, a lot of us are working real hard during the week, and we have our spiritual ups and downs and our struggles. And um, your word tells us to turn to you. 
So I pray we be a people that turn to you in the good times. And we be a people that would turn to you in the bad times. We pray that our joy would come from you and that our hope is in you. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be people of faith, people of love, people of hope. And I pray, Lord, that today, the people that are here today, Lord, if they want fake news, they can stay home and turn on a television set or surf the web. There's plenty of fake news out there. But they came here today to hear your word, the word of God, to hear your truth proclaimed. But you chose to use fallible men to proclaim your infallible truth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man today. Don't allow Phil Fernandez to distort or twist your word. Anoint me to proclaim your truth. I pray if there's anything I utter from this pulpit that's not from you, that our flock would go to the word, the scriptures, and test it and find it to be wanting. But if what is proclaimed from this pulpit is true, is if it's consistent with your word, then allow us to understand it, empower us to understand it, and empower us to apply it to our lives through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and for your glory, always for your glory, Lord, because we live not to build our kingdom, but we live to build your kingdom. And we're seeing right now the kingdoms of this world crumbling. And we got a guy in the White House who says he cares for us and these things that are happening are all good things and it just gets worse and worse for us. And leaders throughout the world, it's a big power play. The kingdoms of this world are crumbling right now. But we know there's an unshakable kingdom. The kingdom of our God. And Jesus will return in glory. And so I pray, Lord, that you equip us through your word and through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit and through prayer, that you equip us to be the warriors that we need to be for the difficult times that are ahead. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be starting at verse 9. Remember, Paul thanked God for the Thessalonian believers. He gave them a blessing of joy and peace. Uh, he defended his ministry to the Thessalonians. He prayed for their spiritual growth and longed to visit them. He really loved the people he ministered to. That's a question we've got to ask ourselves. Do we love the people we minister to? And, you know, some people, they just, they don't really love people they so-called minister to. They're just looking for people to push around. We're not like the pagans. We're servant leaders. We love the people that God has called us to lead. And God call, if God calls us to lead, this includes pastors, then God calls us to be servant leaders who put the needs of others before their own. Now, Timothy brought back to Paul a good report concerning the Thessalonians. Paul encouraged them as he encourages us to, to live to please God and be set apart for God and his kingdom, which includes being set apart from sexual immorality, okay? And, um, and we're to grow in love towards one another. No matter how much we love each other and love the Lord, we can still love the Lord and others more, okay? Nobody gets an A-plus on that till Jesus comes back and perfects us. And then Paul says, be comforted when Jesus returns because 
He's going to bring our deceased loved ones with him. We've all had loved ones that trusted in Jesus for salvation. They weren't perfect. They died and went to be with the Lord. And Paul says, be comforted. We don't grieve like the world grieves because we know we'll see our loved ones again if they trusted in Jesus. Now Paul is telling the Thessalonians to be ready for Christ's return. He tells us, be watchful. Be ready for Christ's return. He tells us we don't need to know the exact time of Jesus' return. What would we do if we, if we knew the exact time of Jesus' return? We'd slime until the night before, okay? So we don't have a need to know. We're not high enough in the chain of command, okay? Uh, but we know the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, Paul tells us. When everyone's saying peace and safety, then destruction will come. And believers, we are not in darkness. The world's in darkness. We're not ignorant. Jesus gave us the signs of the end times. That should prepare us. Okay? I don't know about you, but I'm watching the news really close. I don't know. I, I think one of the strongest arguments that we're in the generation that will probably see Jesus face to face, I think one of the strongest arguments is how, how evil the world has got. It can't get much more evil. And... Um, all that's got to be done here in America, we think, well, I'm still living pretty good and got a nice house, got a boat, got three cars, or, you know, this goes on and on. Um, and I'm living pretty comfortably. I'm getting, getting paid really well. And it's, all they've got to do is turn on or turn off a light switch, to be honest with you, and make America like the rest of the world. Okay? We just had, what, in Philadelphia? It is, oh, no, in Reading, Pennsylvania. A guy is across from an LGBT protest. Uh, he stood across the street, and all he did was doing was reading Bible verses. And they didn't even, they weren't even really, they were just like, you know, turn from your sin type verses. It wasn't like specifically point out certain sins when the police officers tell him to shut up. He wouldn't, and so they cuffed him and took him away. So, I mean, it's just, things are getting crazy. And, uh, and when the world says peace and safety, then destruction is going to come, but believers are not in darkness. Uh, President Biden, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, to celebrate uh, LGBTQ+, plus, um, he said that we are a nation of pride at this event. Okay? And you compare that with Second Chronicles 7.14. In fact, let's take a look at that real quick. Now, this is to the nation of Israel. We are not the nation of Israel. There's no guarantee if America repents uh, that God is going to uh, uh, rescue us, okay? But it's a good idea. It is a real good idea. Repent. Turn from your sin. Uh, on um, senior prank night, the students do all these pranks. They spray paint things. They get in trouble and all the ones that graduated and all. And, and, uh, but they kind of like me, so they go to my classroom and do something nice. This time they went to my classroom and spent several hours of hard work and, and straightened up my classroom, okay? But I, I remember when everybody was saying, when everybody was saying legalize marijuana, and, and I have friends that are psychologists in North, it's like the North American uh, the research and therapy for homosexuals, they're psychologists that, um, that are upset because they can get in trouble if a homosexual is like suicidal or depressed and wants out of the homosexual lifestyle, 
psychologists can get in trouble if they say, yeah, that might be the problem. Let's help you out of that lifestyle. They're supposed to, psychologists are supposed to say, um, no, it's not that, it's something else. That's not the problem. And these guys, there's like, there were 3,000 of them. This was decades ago. And uh, it's probably double or triple that number now. Psychologists, some Christians, some not Christians, that if their clients want, if their patients want out of the homosexual lifestyle, they want to help them with it. So I got the idea from legalized marijuana. I got the idea, legalized metanoia. Turn from your sin, you know, repentance. That's the Greek word for repentance. And so I mentioned that in a sermon. Bill Bickle liked it. So Bill Bickle liked it. He usually makes a shirt out of it. But Bill knows I lift weights. So for some reason, when he buys me shirts, he gets me double extra large. So you, if I wear the shirts, they're my pajamas. They go down almost to my ankles. And the short sleeves are almost to my wrist. But um, so he got me a legalized man. I was like, what am I going to do with a double extra large shirt? So I just left it on my desk. Well, my students took it and they pinned it up. So right now that's on display in my classroom. These are the kind of, these are the days that we live in. And what does God say? Should we take pride in our wickedness and our sinfulness? No. And God says this, that if Israel gets, get, you know, and he's saying this to Solomon, Yahweh, the God of Israel is saying this to Solomon, verse 14 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The two key things in that passage, one is if God's people have any hope. Now, the thing is, too, is God did not promise America will be around in the last days. Okay? God, God made that promise to Israel. So we don't know how much of this applies to us. All I know is it's a good idea for a sinful people, for a sinful nation to humble themselves and to turn from their wicked ways. Okay? You don't take pride in sin. And I'm telling you, the reason why this is so significant right now is when, when a Roman Catholic philosopher named Dietrich uh, von Hildebrand in Germany, he was a thorn, one of the major thorns in Hitler's side. He was preaching against Hitler, uh, uh, writing against Hitler. So when the Nazis took power in Germany, he fled to Austria. When the Nazis took over Austria, he fled elsewhere in Europe. When the Nazis took over most of Europe, he had to flee to America and taught philosophy in, at Fordham until the 1970s when he died. Okay? But as I'm reading his autobiography, I wrote down to, when America falls, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? I mean, everybody flees to America when things get messed up everywhere else in the world. What do you do when America is messed up? Where are you going to go? You know where you're going to go? You know where I'm going to go? We're going to go on our knees. Okay? Because you, you could take away our freedom, our political freedom here in America. You can imprison us. You can outlaw Christianity. But you can't take away our hope. Can't take away our hope. Okay, because I don't hope in the things of this world, the kingdoms that can be shaken. My hope, your hope, is in the unshakable kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. So I titled this message, you know, we're not in darkness, we're not ignorant. I titled this, Prepare with Hope. Two things. What we need to do, we need to prepare, but we don't prepare as people without hope. We prepare with hope. Okay? 
Um, you know, I was watching a boxing match last night, and the guy that was getting beaten, the champ, uh, he pretty much knew he had a no chance at winning unless he scored a knockout in the last two rounds. And so he was trying, and the harder he tried to knock the other guy out, the more he was getting hit. And I think deep down inside, he was he was preparing. He was doing everything he needed to do. But I don't think he had much hope. I think he I think he knew he was he was whooped. Okay, that's not like us. In the fifteenth round, it looks like we're behind by points. Looks like we're ready to get knocked out. We keep fighting because we know what happens. In the end, at probably at the last moment, long after we'd expect. King Jesus is going to show up, and he's going to make things right upon the earth. So prepare with hope. How do we prepare with hope? Paul tells us in verse 8. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. He's talking about the end times. We don't know when the day is going to come, but let, let us who are of the day be sober. We're not, we don't stumble around like at night in the darkness. We walk in the light of the day because we have God's truth. Okay, we should be prepared for the last days. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Okay, and he goes on, and we'll talk about uh, uh, verse 9. So we're actually starting at verse 8. I might have said verse 9, but it's verse 8. Then he goes on, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. But let us who are of the day be sober. Don't stumble around like a drunk at night, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, when, uh, you know, open up to Ephesians, turn to Ephesians 6, verse 14. As a new believer, I, I read that. I thought, man, is this a contradiction in God's word? And, it, and I was studying the Bible real hard. I just had a hard time with a metaphor. You could have the same metaphor, the same symbolic word or phrase or whatever could symbolize something totally different in another passage, like mustard seed. Jesus uses that for little mustard seed to symbolize in one parable the growth of the church. Another time he takes mustard seed to symbolize our faith. If you just have little faith of a mustard seed, as long as it's in Jesus, you'll have the power to spiritually move mountains, okay? So metaphor can be used differently. I didn't know that. So I was like, man, is this a contradiction in God's word? When I turned, when I saw this, the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. And I got to uh, the, the full armor of God. And... Uh, verse 14, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, and then later on it talks about uh, the helmet of salvation. I go, well, the helmet of salvation and the helmet of the hope of salvation, that's close enough. And I thought, man, that almost sounds like a contradiction. Breastplate of righteousness in one letter and in another letter, which was written even earlier than that one, it's the breastplate of faith and love, okay? Now, let me say this. Uh, the same metaphor in different passages can represent different things, okay? So it really wasn't a problem to begin with. But from studying this, 
And studying the word, I did find out they're almost synonymous. Faith and love in action equals righteousness. Okay? We, it's not like, you know, well, we're not saved by the works of the law. We all deserve hell. So we trust in Jesus alone for salvation. He died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead to conquer death for us. So as long as we trust in Jesus, we're saved. And then once we're saved, it's our job in our own strength to obey God's law outwardly. No. Paul slams that. He smacks that down in, in Romans 7. Romans 6, he smacks down the idea, if we're not saved by the law, then I might, I, once I get saved, I might as well continue in sin so that grace might increase. And Paul says, no, no may it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? Okay? And um, so we got to understand, we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Guess what? We get sanctified, we get set apart, we grow, we mature in Christ by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. It's the same thing. Uh, now, where's the biblical justification for what I just said, that faith plus love Inaction equals righteousness. In Romans 3.31, after explaining that we're not saved by the works of the law, we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, Paul then says, he finishes that passage in Romans 3, verse 31, he says, well, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all, rather we uphold the law through faith. So you realize we, we obey God's law through faith. You know, it's like James said, faith without works is dead. James 2.26. And, uh, and so, so basically, uh, look, let, me, let me move on for love here. Mark 12, 30 and 31. Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. And this, this fulfills all the law. Okay? Now let me say something. We're not experts on love. We're experts on sin. So if you want to find how love should be applied in a certain situation, read God's word, okay? But the spirit of the law is faith and love in action. The letter of the law, sometimes we can get caught up in the letter of the law and not help somebody because we might be late to church, okay? I know a youth pastor who didn't help a guy, an unconscious guy in his vehicle blocking traffic because he didn't want to be late to his youth group and drove by. Um, that's obeying the letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. But keep in mind, faith, you know, there's a lot of people who talk about faith, and there's a lot of people who have, I think the Pharisees had way more faith than me, and they're still going to hell. So keep in mind, when we talk about biblical faith, it's faith in Jesus. The power is not in the faith. The power is in the object of our faith. If you're trusting in Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus to save you, Jesus is willing and able to save. If you put your faith in your own good works to save you, you're still hellbound. Okay? The most humiliating thing I ever heard was when somebody <clears throat> properly shared the gospel message with me. He told me, all you work for, you thought you were trying to get a big name back in Jersey? All you worked for the first 21 years of your life, all you've earned is a place called hell. Okay? And um, um, so uh, it's faith in Jesus. So basically, think of your walk 
as, uh, in fact, in Romans 13, 10, Paul says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the what? The fulfillment of the law. Okay? So you've got to think of your walk with the Lord. You know, Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. I'm not saying commandments in the Bible are not important. They're very important. But don't think about Christianity as a list of rules and regulations that you have to obey in your own strength. No, Christianity is a personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ who sets you free from sin and enables you to not only obey God's laws outwardly, but obey God's laws from the heart. So I don't wake up in the morning and say, okay, here's a list of commands I got to obey. I wake up in the morning and I pray to the Lord and I do some devotional study of God's word. And then I wake up empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because There's certain things, if you do them, the Holy Spirit will fill you, will control you. And so I wake up knowing, consciously knowing that I'm walking with Jesus. I want to go where Jesus wants me to go. I want to think what Jesus wants me to think. I want to say what Jesus wants me to say, and I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Okay? So when you think of sinning, okay, you got to think of, if it's all about love and all about trusting Jesus and his word, if it's all about love, you got to think about, I don't want to do this because I would let Jesus down. I don't want to do that because I would let Jesus down and I would let other people down. Okay? And so don't be like the Pharisees. They're all caught up in the technicalities and this and that. You got to love people. You got to love Jesus. You got to trust Jesus. I mean, time and time again... Cedric, you probably had this a few times. You're, you're still an athlete. I'm an ex-athlete. Um, time and time again, I've seen guys, and I just put, man, my own opinion, be like, Christopher, you probably get it. You think, man, I would have smacked this guy. And, um, and God's word says, no, turn the other cheek. If you have faith in Jesus, you say, you know, Lord, this is my opinion. I got 50 reasons why I hold this opinion. You know, 50 reasons why Joe Schmo needs to get smacked. And you look at God's word, and it's like, okay, Lord, your truth, I'm going to trust your truth even though it goes against my opinion. And since my opinion goes against your truth, that means you got, you got a lot more work to do on me in this area. Um, but are you trusting in Jesus and his word? Or are you trusting in the wisdom of man? Or are you trusting in your feelings? We got a lot of people right now, we got little, little boys, and they're trusting their feelings. They feel like they're a girl. And little girls trusting their feelings, thinking they're a boy. Let me tell you, the creator decided all that, okay? So you, you're a little boy. You grow up to be the best man you possibly can through the power of God. You're a little girl. You grow up to be the best possible lady you, you can through the power of God. Not your feelings, okay? And it's, it's crazy, too. Let me, let me tell you, this is a real important truth that you need if you want to recognize a little little insight into what's going on in the world today um 
It's easier to manipulate people who are consumed with their feelings than it is to manipulate people who are consumed with, with their intellect. Now, we as Christians shouldn't be consumed with our intellect. We should be consumed with God's word. But what I'm saying is the non-believers who are throwing intellect and truth and reasoning out the window and are basing everything on feelings, I'm telling you, you can make them do anything. You can make them believe anything. Okay? Our feelings need to be based on facts, and we test everything that claims to be a fact by the word of God, God's truth. But whatever the case, um, Christianity is not a list of rules and regulations. It's a personal love, trust relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've got to put on faith and love. If you put on, don't tell me you're wearing, you know, Pastor Phil, I'm wearing the breastplate of faith and love, and you're not living a righteous life. Now, granted, none of us are going to be perfect till Jesus comes back. But our lives, if you are a true believer, our lives ought to be characterized by righteousness as defined in God's word. Are you loving the Lord? You know, John tells us what 1 John 4, 20 and 21, he was, he was talking to people who weren't going to church anymore, weren't fellowshipping with the brethren. He said, look, don't tell me you love the God that you can't see if you don't love the brethren who you can see. Prove to me you love the God who you can't see by loving the brethren that you can see, okay? And um, so so whatever the case, we need to put on that breastplate of faith and love um, and put it to action, and that will produce the righteousness that Ephesians 6, the full armor of God, talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, keep in mind, it, it is... Let's say Jesus is not coming back for a thousand years. Guess what? It's still important that we put on the breastplate of of faith and love and that we still live righteous lives from the heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and for God's glory. It's still important. But once you bring the second coming of Christ into the picture and we don't know exactly when he's coming back, it becomes even more important. Okay? Don't act like a drunkard. Don't stumble around in the darkness, okay? The return of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night to the non-believers. To believers, we need to be ready, but once the signs start coming down, they're going to start coming down quick. You might think, well, Pastor Phil, they can't come down too quick. Hey, 10 years ago, we were not. 10 years ago, if there was a guy in a public school as a teacher encouraging a little boy to become a girl, the guy would be, like, fired. Even with the education lobby, the guy would be fired. They'd probably put him on paid leave for 10, 15 years. It's amazing how many – there's that – well, I don't know you want to get into it. There are criminals who are getting paid seventy, eighty thousand dollars 80000 a year because the National Education Association, the lobby is so strong they can't fire the guy. So they pay him, but to protect the kids, they keep him away. And he stays on the couch making all this money from the taxpayers. They, they might let him off the couch and back in the classroom nowadays. Seems like um, they, they just, they're just the promotion of perversion. And, uh, but uh, 
But whatever the case, how many of us thought that was going to come down so quickly? And it did. The statues of the founders of this country coming down. If you say homosexuality is a sin, you believe gay marriage is a sin, automatically you're a bigot. Okay? And we're now starting to, instead of freedom of speech, we're now starting to look at words as if they're weapons. So you hurt somebody's feelings, okay, um, and all of a sudden uh, you're a criminal. You deserve to be locked up, okay? Um, we need to have on the breastplate of faith and love. We need to live righteous lives through the power of God, obey God from the heart. We need to pray that God not only controls our outward behavior, but even our inner thoughts, okay, um, now more than ever, okay, so many, I'm reading a book right now, a really good book, can't remember the title, um, straight, I think it's Strange New World by a philosopher, it's pretty philosophically deep, but he talked about how philosophers turn the, this inner self into the dominant thing, I think he needs more emphasis though, the inner self, the little children, inner selves, are being controlled by what C.S. Lewis called the man molders of the new age. I think there's little people that don't really think a certain way unless adults that they respect tell them they think that way. And so now, you know, we mutilate the bodies of little children all in the name of what? Diversity and tolerance. And um, we need we need an army of Christians walking around with the breastplate of faith and righteousness. Why? Because we're going to win this battle on the earth. No, no, Jesus, when he comes back, is going to win it. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But you got to have faith and righteousness as a breastplate if you're going to impact this world for the cause of the gospel in these trying times. But Paul not only says in his passage, put on the breastplate of faith and love, he also says, uh, put on the helmet uh, uh, of the hope of salvation. Okay? So let me tell you, when you go into spiritual battle, if you're not saved and if you're not conscious that you're saved, okay? I mean, I don't want to, you, you don't want to be like trusting Jesus for salvation and saying, gee, I hope he can, I hope Jesus can save me because I did really bad stuff. Look, you're, you're not being humble there by saying you think your sin is too big for Jesus to die for. You're demoting Jesus because Jesus is ultimately worthy. He's God, the second person of the Trinity. His death on the cross is good enough believe me, to cover any sins that mankind have committed. Fact, I would go so far as to say the only sin that Jesus cannot forgive is the sin of continuing to reject his free gift of salvation. Okay? But I'm telling you, if you're thinking, you know, I'm not sure I'm saved, but on my deathbed, I'll turn my life over to Jesus then. Dude, 
You don't even know if you're going to have minutes, let alone hours, on your deathbed. You don't even know if you're going to be in a bed when you die. Um, and um, no, you got. And John tells us we can know for sure if we're saved. In fact, I'm going to turn it right now. First John five. First John five. Verse 13, John says, These things I have written to you, 1 John 5, chapter 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John wants us to know, God wants us to know that we're saved, that we have eternal life. So don't, you know, you, you trust in Jesus. And by the way, I'm all for recommitting my life to Jesus each and every day. Because the Bible says true believers are going to persevere in the faith. We all know people who professed faith in Christ and didn't persevere. There's a debate among godly Christians whether they were saved or not. Okay? I don't, I don't believe a true believer can't lose their salvation, but the Bible teaches true believers will persevere in the faith. And we got to examine ourselves daily. Uh, the easiest person to deceive with a lie is yourself. Every time I sin, every time you sin, it comes in with a comes complete with a built-in excuse that only you believe and only I believe. Okay, and um, and then the difficult thing is to convince other people of that lie. And so what we got to do when we when we commit a sin, whether it's in our our mind, our actions, our attitude, or our behavior, when we commit a sin, we got to, as soon as we hear that built-in excuse, we got to rebuke Satan and acknowledge that we have disobeyed God. And um, so we, we got to have confidence that we're saved. No matter how bad things get, we're saved. If you have confidence that you're saved because you're trusting in Jesus for salvation and living consistently with that, I mean, that's the only two ways, the only ways that I could know that I can feel confident and have assurance of salvation is if I wake up in the morning and I'm trusting in Jesus for salvation and I'm bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? That's why when King David committed horrible sins, he said to the Lord, return to me, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's built in. You, you turn your back on God, even for a minute, you don't feel saved. Okay? So you cling to his word, you repent. But we have, must, must have confidence we're saved. No matter how bad things get, we are saved. In other words, no matter how bad things get, we have hope. Okay? Uh, Jesus will protect us. We will someday be in heaven with Jesus. You know, and the thing is, dude, the world's idea of hope, the world's idea of hope is you hope. Like, it's like, like um, uh, I kind of apply the world's idea of hope to Raider football. Okay? Why are you laughing? Um, 
So since 1983, since the 1983 season, I've been hoping every year that the Raiders win the Super Bowl. And they haven't won it in 40 years. So you see, the world's idea of hope, you're hoping for something good, but you're not sure it's going to come about. Let me repeat that. The world's idea of hope, you're hoping for something good, but you're not sure it's going to come about. And we, sometimes it's not a sin to do that. I'm hoping to be able to afford a better car. And that might not come about. Okay? God's in control. That might not come about. So there's some context where that's not the end of the world. But it is the end of the world if that is your concept of hope on the biggest thing, like the hereafter and your eternal destiny. And so the world... Their idea of hope, the hope of man, you're hoping for something good, but you're not sure if it's going to turn out. That is not Christian hope. If your hope is in Jesus, it's settled. Okay? It's settled. It used to be Mike Tyson, when he'd fight, everybody thought, man, you know, just bet on Tyson. He's going to just... Whoever he gets in the ring with, he's going to knock the guy out. And then came along a guy named Buster Douglas who figured out how to use his reach on a Mike Tyson who wasn't moving his head as much as he used to when his old trainer, Custom Auto, was still alive. And he knocked Mike Tyson out. Because the hope that Mike Tyson would win, that was, a, if you were a Mike Tyson fan, it was a hope of something good. That might not turn out. The guy might get whooped. Okay? And... um you know, even Rocky Marciano, who ended up undefeated in 49 fights with 43 knockouts, um, there was always the possibility he could lose. In fact, he would have lost several of his fights had he been fighting nowadays because they, they, he, he got some injuries in the ring that they don't allow fighters to continue anymore. Back then, I'm not going to talk about this ladies present. You might be grossed out by, in fact, some of the guys might be grossed out um, by some of the injuries he got in the ring and facial injuries. Um, and he used to let him keep fighting back then. And then he'd knock the guy out after a while and, and then go to surgery and they'd stitch up whatever was coming apart on his face. And, you know, but uh, when you hope in Jesus, that's the hope that will deliver the only hope that will deliver, okay? The unshakable kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how bad things get, we are saved. No matter how good things get, we are saved. We have hope. Jesus will protect us and we'll be with him in heaven someday. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the last letter that Paul wrote. He wrote this right before he was executed. 2 Timothy Chapter 4, in verse 6, he's in a Roman prison. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, and Paul says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And he goes on to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. What's his departure? His departure from planet Earth. Paul's saying, you know, he knows Jesus is in control. 
And he's saying, my Lord, my Savior is going to allow me to be killed, executed by the pagan Romans. And they beheaded him. They cut his head off. And uh, yet he could still say this, knowing that he was going to die, the Lord was going to allow him to die. He says this in verse 18 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's very important. I can promise you that the Lord will deliver you. If you're a believer, the Lord, our hope is so certain. If you're a believer, the Lord will deliver you from your enemies, from your problems. The Lord will deliver you. Okay? Uh, the Lord will preserve you. If you're a true believer and you're going through difficult times and it's tearing you up, it's dragging you down, the Lord will deliver you from that and he will preserve you. What I would cannot tell you, I'd be a liar if I told you this, that means God's going to make your problems while you're on earth go away. That means if you have a horrible sickness, God is definitely going to cure you. Okay? That means uh, that if you lost your job, God's going to guarantee you get a better one with better pay. I can't tell you that. I can tell you God's going to deliver you. I can tell you he's going to preserve you. But sometimes it just means I'm going to deliver you from this horrible planet and preserve you by bringing you like I did with Paul into my heavenly kingdom. Okay? So I, I can't lie to you. God did not promise us a rose garden. He didn't promise us a picnic. He called us to war. A spiritual war for the souls of mankind. And we fight with spiritual weapons, the full armor of God. We speak the truth in love. We love our enemies. We pray for them, but we preach Jesus, even if it gets to the point where our government decides to imprison us, to torture us, to kill us. That sounds extreme, but that's the norm. If you live in China, that's the norm in India. That's the norm in many African countries, even though Africa, the African um, continent, is much more Christian than America is today. They say as high as 47% of Africans profess to be Christians. Okay? Yet, the other half are either Marxists or communists who are in the business of killing these peaceful, turn-the-other-cheek Christians. Okay? Nigeria made big news because a Nigerian bishop told his flock, so many churches have been burned down, so many little Christian girls have been sold into sex slavery. He made uh, this ruling. He told his churches to start fighting back. Stop letting the Muslims steal your children. And that made news. The news didn't want to report the Muslims, uh, Boko Haram, slaughtering the Nigerian Christians. But once the Christian leader says, okay, you can fight back to defend yourself, then all of a sudden, oh, there's those Christians again. And, um, but... God's called us to a war, and he will deliver us, but it might, he might not deliver us the way we want to be delivered. He might just take us into uh, his kingdom. Look at Ephesians 2, 11 and 13. So Paul 
died with hope. I was a gentleman on Facebook the other day, and he made a little comment to a post that in America that good is going to overcome evil. We're going to win this battle. And I thought, you know, God bless the guy, but um, I don't have that kind of hope in America. Now, he might say, well, well, no, I'm a Christian, too. I have my hope in God. Yeah, well, where does God in his word say, thus saith the Lord, America will be around and will be free and prosperous and healthy in the last days when my son returns? I don't see that. In fact, the only thing I see that would include America, assuming America's still around, is all nations will invade Israel in the last days. And then I also see that we'll be hated by G- because of Jesus' name in all nations. So if we're around in the last days, we ain't the good guys. Okay? In fact, I- I'll go on record right now. There is no government on the planet Earth, not even America or Israel. There is no government on the planet Earth that is a good government. They're all just different degrees of demonic evil. Now, what I pray for during wars is the safety of the people who are usually being lied to about the purpose of the war. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, there are evil governments on the planet Earth, and America is not exempt from that. Our government, this is not grandpa's America, okay? And, uh, but Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 13, Paul is talking there to... Uh, Gentile believers. And he's saying, you're not second-class Christians. You're, you come to Christ, you're first-class Christians just like the Jews. So Ephesians 2, 11 to 13, and he says in verse 14, he's our peace. He breaks down the dividing wall between the Gentiles and the court of the Gentiles and then the court of the Jews. Jesus makes peace for us. But he says this, therefore remember, Ephesians 2, 11 to 13, therefore remember that you... Once Gentiles and, you know, pagans in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, they didn't get circumcised like the Jews, by what is called a circumcision made in the flesh by hand. Some, some Jews said Gentiles can only be saved if they get circumcised in the flesh and then convert to Judaism, then they could trust in Jesus for salvation. That's a false gospel. Paul refutes that in the book of Galatians. That at that time you were without Christ. If you underline your Bible... Underline, without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope. So underline, no hope. And without God in the world, underline, without God. Okay? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he's saying, look, you pagans, you didn't, you didn't know anything. When it came to religion, you're worshiping false gods. You're so far out to lunch. You didn't know up from down, right from wrong. But now the Jewish Messiah has come. And he's not only made peace with God for man, but he's made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles. He is our peace but the three key things there that I want us to focus on, being w- the condition of being without Christ, okay? Without Christ. Then you look a little further, no hope. 
without Christ means no hope, and it means being without God. Okay? So basically what I'm saying is without Christ means without hope. If you have Jesus, you have hope, genuine hope that will not disappoint. If you don't have Jesus, you might think you have hope, but you don't have hope, okay? And so without Christ is without hope. We have hope in the Lord Jesus. Uh, now, when the, whenever the world has hope, if they're not I'm talking about the non-believing world, it's a false hope. The only true hope for the world is Jesus. If the world rejects Jesus, the world um, has no hope. It's really a false hope. And so when things deteriorate on planet Earth, the world is going to lose its hope, but we still have our hope because Jesus is our hope. And I'm going to close with this passage, and then we'll receive the Lord's Supper. Uh, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 to 14. So when the world loses hope, we still have hope. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, just like Paul's talking about, righteously, just like Paul's talking about, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Great God and Savior, that they apply to Jesus Christ there. It's the Granville Sharp rule of Koine Greek, New Testament Greek. And it talks about Jesus who gave himself up for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. But the hope of the church, the blessed hope, is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the false hopes of this world will crumble and fail. But our king will return. He is our hope. And so the world can despair. There's going to be difficult times ahead. The world thinks it's going to be, you know, they're going to say peace and safety. They're going to think everything turned out okay. Uh, when they say peace and safety, then destruction comes. Okay? Um, but even when the world loses its hope, we still have our hope. And so you can say, well, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I have the hope of salvation, the helmet, of the hope of salvation, and I'm in prison for preaching the word. You still got hope. And it's not hope that's going to disappoint. King Jesus is going to come back. Some people are going to trade a small period of time and throw away eternity. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And some people are going to say, I'm going to take the mark of the beast. I'm going to worship the Antichrist. So that way I can at least buy and sell. And they're thinking about tomorrow and the day after. They're not thinking about eternity. But there is a peace, Prince of Peace. And it's King Jesus. He's the Lamb who was slain. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Peter, Paul, and John. The God of me, the God of you. He became a man to die on the cross for our sins, 
and rose from the dead to conquer death for us. And if you trust in Jesus, you have hope. Because the UN is not our hope. The World Economic Forum is not our hope. Washington, D.C. is not our hope. King Jesus is our hope.